Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. This is a <laughs> weekly show uh, in which we talk about spiritual awakening. My name is Rick Archer, and my guests tonight are today, whenever you're watching this, are Steve and Winifred Boggs. My concept of this show is, was inspired by the fact that um, in the town where we live, Fairfield, Iowa, and around the country and around the world, there are a great many people who are experiencing what we might call a spiritual awakening. We'll define that concept in the course of our conversation as we do every week, uh, but I want to say something about what a spiritual awakening is not. It's not merely a set of beliefs or a religious conviction. We're not talking about an idea so much as an experience. And we're not talking about an experience which one might have momentarily and then remember fondly as having been a profound thing for the rest of one's life. There were great poets who, who you know, had experiences like that and wrote poetry about them for the rest of their lives, but the, the experience wasn't sustained. We're talking about a shift in one's perspective of what one is as, as a person or as more than a person, which is permanent, which is sustained, which is abiding and which apparently nothing is able to perturb. So that's my concept for the show. Um, I'm admittedly unqualified to really judge whether a person has had a spiritual awakening or not, but I'm pretty much taking people at their word, and so far I think we've lucked out in terms of the <laughs> sincerity and genuineness of our guests, and um, I have quite a list of people uh, that I intend to interview as the weeks go by plenty enough to keep us going, more or less indefinitely. <clears throat> so, I guess I'll start by, you know, inviting Steve and Winifred to introduce themselves a little bit, um, where they come from, what they do, uh, you know, just something about their ordinary day-to-day -day existences, yeah. and uh, then we'll begin to get into some deeper considerations. Okay, uh, I'm Steve Boggs. I'm an electrical contractor. I live here in Fairfield, Iowa. I have for, well, since 1983. And um, that's about it with respect to what I do during the day. Uh -huh. But um, like pretty much everyone in this town, I have a TM background. Uh, going stretching back to um, 1966 when I met Maharishi and started meditating, and it's a very familiar story to many people. Became a TM teacher and, and moved on through the various levels of the TM organization. We ended up in sitting on the board of directors at the national headquarters. Actually, you were finishing up at South at, at Livingston Manor about the same time we showed up at South Fallsburg, I think, mm. and. Um, Um, well, there's, there's, there's more to the story, which we'll get into as we'll we go along. It'll unfold, I, should yeah. let, I should let Winifred say some things. Mm. And you mentioned you're from Los Angeles originally. I was originally born a uh, native California, yes. Yes. And Winifred? I'm originally from New York, which you can probably tell from my accent. And I moved to California in 1965, started TM in 1967. Uh, Steve and I have been married for th yeah. almost 36 years, and we've been living in Fairfield, as he said, since 1983. Um, in terms of my personal self, I'm a 
bookkeeper. I take care of all the books for my husband's business, and but I'm also an artist. I'm a painter. I do intuitive, energetic portraits of people, places, events, and pets. Hmm. And I'm also a poet and uh, published a book of poetry in 1993. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess that's about it in terms of my daily. What is an intuitive, energetic portrait? Um, well, this gets into a little bit of more subtlety of my perception. Mm -hmm. um, I've been doing art my whole entire life, and probably for the last maybe 30 years, I've been doing these paintings for people. And um, I don't need to see the person. Mm -hmm. I don't need a photograph of them. I just need a name, and what I make is, you know, somebody will commission, most of my work is commissioned. Right. So someone will commission me to do a painting for, say, their wife or themselves or something, and mm -hmm. then I just, when I'm ready to work on it, I start and think about them, and mm -hmm. some, some visual image comes to me, and that's where I start. Mm -hmm. And as the painting continues, you know, more things develop, more subtleties, colors, forms, shapes, like that. And in the last probably 10 years, I've grown much more at home with this. Mm -hmm. And most of that has come because when people see my paintings and I give them to them, they'll find things in them that are so right on for them, like a shape or a color or some object or something, and I had no idea mm. where that came from. It just came mm. out of the work that I do. Maybe we'll be able to give the producer a couple of your paintings. You can kind of, you know, stick mm. them in here mm. at this point in the conversation, <laughs> so we'll see what they look like. But yeah. is it the kind of thing where if, I, if, if my sister, who, whom you've never met and lives in Washington, D.C., commissioned you to do one, her friends would actually recognize her in that? Or is it very abstract? It's more abstract. Uh -huh. It's okay. more abstract. Um, I have done some that is somewhat representational, like there'll be some object or shapes or something in there, but it's mm -hmm. not, you know, like, oh, there's a picture of Rick. Right. Or there's a picture of Steve O'Brien. It's, mm. it's, it's an intuitive, energetic portrait. Interesting. Yeah. Do you have a website where these things are? Displayed? I do. Winifred Boggs Arts. How do you spell Winifred? W i n i f r e d, B is in boy, O G is in good, G is in good, S is in Sam. Dot com. Yeah. You know what we'll do is arts. Dot com. Winifred Boggs Arts. Winifred Boggs Arts. Dot com. We'll put a link to that on in a couple places associated with this show. So if people want to look at them, they can. I appreciate it. Thank you. On the YouTube channel, we'll put a link, and uh, maybe the producer will be able to put a link at, in the closing titles of this so people can write it down and, and mm -hmm. check it out. Thank you. So, um, regarding spiritual awakening, um, here in Fairfield, from my perspective and my interactions with people, um, I feel that a, a lot of people, dozens, scores, maybe hundreds, um, <laughs> have undergone a shift to a... Uh, 
what, what would be a radically different state of consciousness if they had shifted to it instantly, but in most cases, people have spent decades sort of culturing and developing this, this experience. But for many people, at a, at a particular time, they, they really sort of crossed a threshold of some kind and realized, oh, I've, I've awakened, you know, I've, I've changed. There, I no longer perceive myself merely as a, a flesh-bound individual, you know, who, who is just mm -hmm. located here and now. There's, there's something much more vast or universal or however they want to define it. Uh, but they have essentially arrived in an experience which redefines their self-concept. Mm -hmm. And um, you both have told me that you have uh, kind of undergone such a transition. And so whichever of you would like to go first, I'd like to kind of hear about that. And you can either start with the transition itself, that point, or maybe start with events and, and experiences leading up to it, or whatever you feel would most meaningly con meaningfully convey mm. to someone who is either familiar or unfamiliar with this kind of thing, mm. what it is we're talking about. Well, Winifred preceded me by five years in this, mm -hmm. so... Uh, in her awakening. Go, yes. Yeah. So maybe yes. she should go first, is yeah. that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I was playing catch-up for a long time. Yeah, <laughs> having inferiority complexes or... Just wondering, <laughs> Not what, really. what am I missing? What is yeah, it? what, what is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> what was the old osmosis principle? Yes. Um, so what year was that, Winifred? It was in uh, 1999. Okay. And uh, what, what, what happened? What were you doing? Were you, you just walking down the street? Or, you know? Well, I had, I, you know, as I said, I've I been meditating for many, many years, mm -hmm. and... Um, Something started changing in the early part of that year, 99, that I, f I started looking at what I thought or the ideals of what I thought enlightenment should be mm -hmm. and how it should show up in me or how awakening would show up in me. And um, I started doing, I don't know how, you know, it wasn't like it was over a week or two weeks period of time or, you know, I just would have these thoughts. Well, you know, I'm not going to show up like that. I'm not going to maybe have perfect health. I'm not going to show up like not having a New York accent and being <laughs> kind of flamboyant. I'm not, you know, that quiet, sweet, you know, I am mm -hmm. sweet, but I'm not energetically. Right. Demure. Demure, that's the word. In other Thank words, you. you might have had certain expectations about what enlightenment right. or awakening was, and you began to realize, wait, maybe that's not it, you know? Right, and in terms of myself, and right. my, you know, my personal self. Mm -hmm. And so over this period of time, I would say it was up until maybe March, it was like I was peeling an onion. Hmm. No, I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to be that. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be that. And then... I came to this place where I realized that you wake up as who you are, mm -hmm. who I am. Right. And it was like the bottom fell out. Hmm. And Suddenly one day on April such and such, or kind of just more like over a period of a week or yeah, two. Yeah, it could yeah. have been. I mean, yeah. it may have been a moment, but in this day and age right now, I don't remember. Uh -huh. 
but I, re I do very specifically remember feeling totally at home with myself mm -hmm. and not only recognizing my personality or my personal self or my relative self, if you want to use that word, but also that I was never born, never died, I like a totality. I mean, these words, right. the words just do not do justice. But yeah. that's the nature of, of what we're, we're, we're talking about. And that went on for, um, I can't say that it was, you know, I still had my emotions, you know, my daily life. Um, and that went on for probably until November of that year of 99 when I was faced with a catastrophic illness mm -hmm. and nothing changed. Hmm. Nothing changed. Nothing in terms of that, of that, that aspect which was never born and would never yeah, die. Yeah, in terms of that realization, mm -hmm. nothing shifted. Mm. And that's kind of when I knew yeah. that this was permanent. Mm -hmm. And um, it, was, it was a grace mm. and a gift. Mm. So if someone listening to this, you know, someone might be listening to this and think, well, what is she talking about? Never born, never dies. Obviously, she was born and we're all going to die. So, you know, what is this aspect of herself that, I mean, is she talking about some spirit that goes to heaven or something like that and therefore never dies? Or, you know, because that's, that's how people often conceive yeah. of this kind of thing, uh, which could very well be dismissed as a nice optimistic belief, you know, or faith, article of faith, as opposed to something you're actually experiencing on a day-to-day -day basis. It, it, it's what I experience on a day-to-day -day basis. And can you elaborate on the, the nature of that experience? Doing ordinary things, shopping, walking down the street, washing the dishes, or however you'd like to explain it's it. It's never lost. It's just mm -hmm. never lost. It's, it's an awareness. It's beingness. It's that which holds everything. I mean, I'm sure Steve could probably give you more beautiful expressions well, this than this I have. Good. But this is fine. You're doing great. <laughs> but um, fullness, no longer searching. Mm -hmm. I don't know if does that answer that a little bit answers better. Answers me. Answers. Yeah. It. I don't know about <laughs> those of you out there. But <laughs> One of these days, this will be a live call-in show, and we'll, we'll get questions, you know, on the spot. Yeah. But um, that's yeah. that's very nice. Yeah. It's funny because I was listening to a, a spiritual teacher on a podcast a, a little while back, and he was kind of laughing at the fact that you know all these people come to hear him say something for hours at a time that can't really be said and or explained, yeah. and that you know they're sitting there listening to something that can't really be understood. But <laughs> he was sort of chuckling at the irony of the situation. Right. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, I think if if we have any degree of enlivenment of this in our own experience, we know what you're talking about. 
you know, and it is a kind of a universal thing, as we have seen and as we will be seeing. I mean, there are hundreds of books you could read uh, and hundreds of lectures you could listen to um, where people are talking about the same thing in their own terminology, in their own experience. And I liked what you said. Ooh, Oops, uh, her mic fell off. Um, go ahead and put it on while I'm talking. Um, I liked what you said about, you know, realizing that it wasn't going to show up as... Uh, something other than what you are, yeah. you know? I mean, we might, I remember when I had first learned to meditate, I was riding along with a, uh, a more experienced uh, meditation teacher whom I respected a lot, and I was saying, if I, and I was playing in a rock band at the time, and, <laughs> and I was saying, if I get enlightened, and the other guys in my rock band get enlightened, will we be able to just kind of go up on stage and spontaneously create great songs without even having conceived of them before we got up on the stage or practiced them or anything else. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of conceived of it, of it as being this super ability kind of state. Mm. And I think, uh, I'll get to Steve in a second, I don't want to do too much of the talking because as Larry King said, if I'm talking, I'm not learning. But um, I think that uh, a lot of people set the bar kind of impossibly high for themselves mm -hmm. by um, assuming for one whatever reason that enlightenment or awakening is this, that, or the other thing, which it will never be. Or maybe it was for this individual or that individual, but it's not going to be for you, you know? And um, some people have accused me of interviewing people who've lowered the bar uh, and, and, and said, oh yeah, well, you know, you're, you're going through a midlife cri spiritual crisis, you've kind of come to the conclusion that you're never getting enlightened, and therefore, you've just kind of compromised what enlightenment actually is in order to make yourself feel good. And so some, some guy uh, sent me this a little while ago in an email. <clears throat> but I don't think it's that. And so uh, maybe I'll turn to Steve now and have him mm -hmm. talk about his awakening. And maybe you can address some of the points I've just been making while you do that. Yeah. It is, a, it is uh, true that um, there are exaggerated and idealized uh, Myths, I guess I would call, of this awakening, and um, I want to thank you for taking the initiative to open this portal of communication that may, I think, serve a lot of people really well to know that um, this is a real thing that can be, um, is being experienced by some guy down the block. Right, Buddha at the gas pump. Right. <laughs> <laughs> On 4th and Burlington. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I get my gas. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> uh, like I said, I have a TM background and, and have always been uh, quite um, earnestly seeking ever since the, you know, the beginning. And uh, um, there was a, p a period sort of in the, in the, the 80s after... I don't know, 30 or so years of diligent practice where the sort of, it became for me, the practice, the, the paths sort of became in a certain way a substitute for the goal and it was enough that I was a, I was a sincere spiritual seeker and, mm -hmm. and I was just sort of, I, I hadn't, the, the possibility of this actually happening for me in this life mm -hmm. was, 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 not, was not in my conceptual framework at that point. Right. And, um, and yet, there was still somewhere way back inside that restless hunger never really completely went away. And one day, a friend of mine 
who uh, had, had lived here for some years and moved away, called me and said, you know, Steve, I want to tell you one thing, that this, this, that great spiritual ideal we've held for all these years, it's actually Israel, and, mm. and I know it because I'm living it. I said, whoa. <laughs> uh, and you? He said, yeah. He said, even me, ordinary guy like me, can, can, can live this. And he said that um, there's this thing I've been involved for, with for a year or two now called Waking Down a Mutuality, and I, you should check it out. So with some trepidation and, and uh, you know, reluctance, I started casting a wider net mm-hmm. and uh, looked into this and found it was a pretty good fit for me. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe I should say a little bit more about what it somewhat you want to say some more about? Well, I'll be asking you questions yes. about it. You okay. can either say okay. it now, or you can keep telling your own story, or okay. whatever works for you. Okay. So after um, a year or so, a fairly uh, consistent and serious involvement with waking down a mutuality, I, I uh, found myself uh, living my life, and yet there was this kind of indefinable sort of angst that was. quietly increasing in some background place of my being Mm. and it was it was a combination of sort of dread and anxiety or something Mm. and I just I couldn't put my finger on it depression too or just dread and anxiety depression no no depression just some sense of um, Uh and it kept building for a number of weeks and um, uh, I it it finally was coming to a head and I was talking on the phone to a, a teacher waking down a mutuality teacher in Colorado who uh, uh, said to me, you know, Steve, I'd like to give you some homework. As we were, when we were talking, she said, what if, what if uh, all the spiritual development you'll ever have in this lifetime is what you've got right now? Mm-hmm. If that's true, would that be enough? And I said, hell no! <laughs> she said, Steve, it's homework. Just, <laughs> just ponder it, just let that uh-huh. percolate in there, and it just call me in two weeks. Yeah. So I did that, and... Um, the answer, whether it was yes or no, sort of, I, I, I discovered varied to some degree. Sometimes mm-hmm. it was yes, sometimes it was no. And um, then in our next phone call, the, this, this sort of quiet uh, dread sort of was coming to the surface more. And I was speaking with her. And I've always felt very relaxed and, and at ease and, and uh, comfortable with her. But somehow in this conversation, I started getting uh, some kind of in fear. Mm-hmm. I was afraid something, something was going to happen here. And um, so in the midst of our conversation about the homework, she said, wait a minute, Steve, what's your understanding of consciousness? And suddenly I started to feel kind of on the spot and like had to perform and I mumbled out some non-answer about sentience or something. I started to feel pretty nervous and she said, okay, so where are you located? I said, what do you mean? I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you on the phone, I'm sitting in my office. And then at, at this point, the anxiety was really going like, uh. I felt like I, <clears throat> inwardly, I felt like I was in a, in a submarine and, the, and there was a fire had broken out. Hmm. And all these fl- red lights were flashing and warning klaxons were blaring and, and, <laughs> and I was just panicked. Something was happening inside that I was very afraid of. Interesting. And uh, then she asked another question and I can't remember what it was. And um, that sort of panic, that dread, peaked, it said came to this head, and it was, I felt like, uh, I, I, I was, I, I may be going to die here, mm. something was going to die, mm. and 
the intensity of that suddenly just snapped and just was everything was silent and and open and spacious and I, I, I could still it wasn't as if I lost the, the recognition that I was in my in a, I could I could still orient myself in the room and sit in the chair but it was also as if I was in a certain way in outer space and there was no up no down no gravity mm-hmm. no no distance no close no far no mm-hmm. it was just open silent vast spacious endless changeless and the wonder of wonders is I was that mm-hmm. and I had always been that mm-hmm. and this it was just it's it's mind-boggling when that um, recognition is viscerally alive in you uh, because suddenly even though you're sitting here in a chair and you're in a room and you can, you can orient yourself, you are limitless, you are changeless, you are endless, you are beginningless, you are entirely self-evident and whole. And and the, the 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 thing that was most remarkable about it is is it seemed like this sounds kind of dramatic, but it was a really quiet moment. It was really small and yet sufficient unto itself. Mm-hmm. It was almost not quiet, but it was almost as if this this awakening moment happened, and and yet in a certain way nothing happened. Right. It, um, it, it's uh, it's an ineffable thing to try to put words around uh, because there's so many dimensions to it and words are all are so you know you can only get them out one at a time and it's always sound very, we make. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and uh, the, th- the thing is though that, that it's there's another part of this not only that I had discovered I'm infinite and endless and and in a, in a certain way have no history because I didn't begin but It's also true that this realization, this consciousness that I am, is everything else as well. It's not just that I have suddenly discovered my changeless nature, that um, in my in my limited nature, mm-hmm. I am also you and this and all these other things it's just it's all that did you realize that just then in that phone call with the lady Um, yes in that moment all this was that apparent yes (laughs) and it it, um it's kind of stupefying in in that moment Mm -hmm. that it's it's simple and obvious and it feels completely natural and you're at home in a way that you never have been before mm-hmm. there was a, there was a kind of pressure that had always occupied my entire adult life that suddenly was just it's relaxed yeah never in any of my <clears throat> deepest meditations or wonder, most wondrous experiences was that completion mm-hmm. um, realized so I, I'm 
although TM served me really well for 37 years, um, I, I think I said before we started, I think I needed a finishing school yeah. to, to finally come home. <clears throat> That's it, just me. It's hard I mean, to obviously, say. Obviously, it, when if it didn't, yeah. I did. Different strokes for different folks. Yeah. But, um, and, you know, it's, it's kind of silly to play what if, but yeah. if you hadn't been meditating for 37 years, it's altogether likely this would not have happened. You know what I mean? It, yeah. You know, it definitely built a foundation. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. Yes. That was one of your list of questions about, mm. about practice and in this moment, it, like Winifred used the word grace, it feels like there's this grace, like there's something, this is completely not, not what I thought it was going to be. Mm. Uh, it, it's not an extension of something that I have been working towards. It, right. this, is com this is entirely different. So that's it's not interesting. Expected. So your I concepts of awakening or enlightenment or whatever you want to call right. it, that you had entertained for right. 37 years, didn't match what right. ended up happening. Right. I love that expression, and you always use it, exceeded it. Yes, it this, this realization left my expectations. Uh, it, my expectations for this mm -hmm. were unmet and exceeded. <laughs> huh. Right. I mean, can you sort of connect, though? Can you say, all right, I, you know, for 37 years I was thinking this, this, and this, and I can see how these things were kind of pointing at you know, the experience I'm now having, but obviously my conception of them was way off the mark because I wasn't having the experience. Sort of like the Zen analogy or metaphor of the finger pointing at the moon and mistaking yes. the finger for the moon. I mean, and it's... Yeah. Yeah. Because before this defining moment, all I had was my thoughts about it. Right. And the, the, the thoughts are, it's not of the mind. This awakening is not of the mind. Mm -hmm. It's of being itself, consciousness realizing itself and as you and as this world and as this So life. even the tastes of that that you had been having in meditation didn't really um, predict for you the experience right. once it had matured or, or ripened or whatever you want to call it. That's right. Right. It was uh, not, I, I, it's not what I expected it to be. Yeah. It's, it's way more and way less. Can I? Can yeah, I, go ahead. I'm I mean, I was just going to say something about experience. I, I've had a lot, you know, during my meditation career, and maybe even a little before that. I had some very profound and deep and flashy type of experiences, and for some reason, I, I always felt that was not the goal, mm -hmm. because it was still in that realm of experience. It wasn't. <clears throat> This has a more quiet, yeah, omnipresent feel to it. And right. Then, like you wouldn't want to necessarily be having a flashy experience twenty four seven. No. No. <laughs> because we are in ordinary life. Too. Right. Mm -hmm. And to me, Mike, th th it, it isn't. It isn't really an experience. Right. Yeah. Okay. Got that. Okay. Um, I'd like to ask you. And Winifred, feel free to pipe up anytime because I'll just kind of ask whatever comes to mind. But I was intrigued by your statement that it was both more and less than what you had anticipated. And maybe you could elaborate on the more and the less. Oh, yeah. Um, in another waking now teacher that I was speaking with, I was talking about what am I missing? Why am I not getting over, over this year that I was, I was 
uh, was involved in this work, and, and she said, look, Steve, why don't you just write down a list, make it big, get a big piece of newsprint or something, and write down all the things you think need to be true for you, for you to consider yourself to be awakened. He seriously did that. Yeah. yeah. It was it was a long <laughs> list. Walk through walls. A big, a big, <laughs> a big yeah. newsprint paper. Yeah. It was, I didn't realize it until I started writing them down, and I thought, yeah. yeah, I had a lot of stuff that I thought, this should all be true for me, for, for me to be considered myself. This is... Well, there's, there's email the, that I got that I referred to earlier from a guy yeah. um, who knew about this show, and I mean, he happens to be on the Purusha program in, mm-hmm. in Uttarkashi, India, which mm-hmm. is this long meditation program for yeah. monastics. Yeah. And he's been, you know, meditating his brains out for decades. And his 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 whole email, the tone of it was like, you know, who do these characters think they are? Can they levitate? You know, can they become invisible? Can they do all those? Right. Those are the criterion of, right. of enlightenment. Right. And yeah. if they can't do those things, then you know, forget it. But yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, I had I had a lot of love, you know, similar ideas, and it turns out they just didn't have a lot to do with the n- nature of this realization. And it it um, I didn't awaken out of and away from my life. Right. I awakened right in and through and as this body, this being, this mm-hmm. Steve Boggs character. Mm-hmm. And I expected to be, you know, get me out of here, <laughs> basically, you know. Well, you knew your above. body was going to continue to function. But no, you but I mean, still, I wanted some kind of love. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah above and away from and right. untouched and, and untouched and, and, you know, right. forever equanimous and mm-hmm. never angry and, yeah. It's, it's, not, it's not that. So was that the more part or the less part? <laughs> uh, in a certain sense, it depends on how you're looking at it. It's, it I expected it to be that, and it's, it is that. Right. The more part is the part that you, that you can't conceive of because it's not something that's mental, that, and mm. it's ineffable, and you can, tr- you can try to, 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 to describe this, this changeless, endless reality that you know you are and it's infinite variety and wonder and, and change in, 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 in your life but um, you always come up short. Yeah. Remember the Incredible String Band, that, that yeah. group in the 60s? There was a great line from one of their songs. The song was Job's Tears but it was, whatever you think, it's more than that. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Mm-hmm. So, um, again, Winifred, anytime you feel the impulse, yeah. you pop, pop in there. I'm, I'm, I'm not noted for being shy. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you had this awakening, what year was this? So about 90, about 2004? This was three. 2003? Four. Four? Four. Okay, 2004, yeah. Yeah, because five years after yeah. 99. Right. Um, was that it? I mean, did you just kind of slide back into plain old Steve life, or did you, did, did it, w- was it sustained? Was there any kind of... Oh, yeah, no, it's never left, but mm-hmm. over time, there is a further integration that happens. Mm-hmm. It isn't as if all growth stops in this moment and, and everything is, is perfect. No, I was suggesting yeah. growth would stop, but I was right. saying, there might, was there any backsliding? Did you kind of like get caught up again and kind of forget this thing that you had? No, it's... it's um, how can we describe this? It's... 
for me, it's not forgettable. Mm -hmm. It's not. It, it's not something that changes. Mm. Some people use the analogy of uh, once you recognize that the snake is actually only a string or a rope, it's never going to fool you again. You know, you're yeah. never going to think, "Oh my God, no, I know it's a string, it's a rope." Yeah. yeah. There's, <laughs> there's a knowingness yeah. that's uh, doesn't doesn't ever isn't affected by whatever happens right yeah but it isn't as if I am on I, I I still have attractions of persons likes dislikes and sure I still have a personality I'm still recognizable as Steve Boggs mm -hmm. I, I have you know psychological wounds I'm sure less like everybody else mm -hmm. but I also there's also a deeper within me it's also true to say that this reality that I know myself to be doesn't change at all. Right. I, I don't know much about Waking Down, although I have a yeah. lot of friends who've, who are into it, yeah. but one phrase from that that I've heard that I like a lot is the Wake Down Shakedown. Yeah. And what I understand that to mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that once awakening happens, then some real house cleaning can take place, which mm -hmm. you know might not have been so possible before when you know you were yeah. Living a more constrained existence. Yeah, that's once this this realization occurs, that's when the booster rockets really fire on your on the, the booster rockets. Booster rockets yeah. on because now you have capacity to actually hold yourself in 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 the, in the midst of an investigation of the deeper, darker parts of your being that have mm -hmm. always been there and but have never seen the light of day because they're too threatening. Yeah, you didn't have the capacity to relax and allow yourself to face them. Yeah. Yeah. And the recognition yeah. that you don't have to get rid of them. Right. And hide them under the rug. Right. You know, that part of your individuality or your humanness. Yeah. Because we are, you know, I, I know I am, and I, so most people have lots of different parts of their personality. Mm -hmm. I would say that under the impact of this sort of stunning realization, all of your previous beliefs and concepts and assumptions and presumptions and intuitions about your life and mm -hmm. your being and who you are and what your identity is and how, how the world is and who people are and, and all that, that all come, has to be reconfigured right. under the impact of this, this change, this mm -hmm. fundamental change to a, 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 a place which I would call uh, wellness of being that's yeah. always there. several trains of yeah, yeah. <laughs> question in my mind. Yeah. I, before I lose it, I, I remember reading a book about Peace Pilgrim. Who yeah. Many yeah. people She's may have right. read yeah. about her. Yeah. She was this marvelous woman that just sort of walked around the country for years in a pair of sneakers and a sweatshirt with, you know, just completely relying on the grace of God or whatever to yeah. take care of her. But I remember in her, in her little book, one of the things she said was that after a certain stage of awakening, there was this, she even drew a little graph, but there was this sort of sharp, curve of accelerated progress that was possible right. once a, a certain basic awakening had taken place. Yeah. Hmm. I would say that's true. Yeah. Um, do you feel, either of you, that um, this kind of re-evaluation of assumptions and judgments and concepts and all that, the things you enumerated, um, 
does it take place spontaneously or do you kind of make it a practice once this awakening is taking place or okay I'm gonna sort of like chip away at this one and now let's work on this one do you want go ahead totally spontaneous mm -hmm. it's totally spontaneous um, most of the time or a lot of the time I wouldn't say necessarily most but the interactions that you have with other people and your environment are really ways that have helped me mm. learn about who I am and how I show up. Mm. You know, there's the waking part, there's the down part, you know, that embodied part, and then there's a the mutuality mm -hmm. piece. And that self-other dynamic is, um, it's huge. Mm. I've heard it said that at a certain point the world becomes your guru and, and yes. whatever you encounter is exactly what you need to encounter to experience or learn what's you know, next on the docket. Yeah, you don't have to seek it out as a practice. Right. right. The universe is going to bring it to your door. Mm -hmm. the, the, there's, there's a mysterious wisdom of being that, that creates circumstances it in your life up, that, yeah. that just brings this stuff up for reevaluation. And I would say that happens to everybody. Awake yes. or right, not awake. Right. That's what's always happening. But you maybe realize it more clearly when... Right. Yeah. And there's a bigger container to hold it. Right. I mean, part of the thing, too, is something may come up that you notice, you know, here, and that sort of sorts itself out, you know, some pattern you have of behavior. And you, think, and you feel, oh, yeah, that sort of feels okay now. And then you know, a year or two later or at some period of time, there it is again. Yet you, at least for myself, I've noticed a shift in how that shows up in me or how I'm showing up. Hmm. Um, and I think that's where the growth, you know, a lot of the growth takes place on a personal level, not on that um, absolute level or awareness level. Am I saying it clearly? Yes, and one thing I might clear, add as commentary is that, that when these personal issues that sort of are, create the constraint, the limitation of, of our humanness get triggered in us, and it, it's like peanut butter on a knife, it doesn't come off with the first, with one swipe usually. Mm -hmm. and, but the thing is, if, if it comes up again six months or a year later, it's like a spiral, you come back around again to this spot on mm -hmm. the on the cosmic wheel, but you're not here now, now right. you've gone down to here. Now you're seeing this at a deeper, more mm -hmm. fundamental, kind of more foundational mm -hmm. part of your being is investigating that dimension of it and you could continue around with that. Is, um, is core wound a waking down term? Mm -hmm. I've heard that mm -hmm. kicking around. Mm -hmm. And would that be, I mean, you're talking about issues and you know, little yeah. twists and knots and whatnot yes. that we all have within us. Would that be the sort of ultimate issue? Is that what they mean right. by that? The all sort of ultimate twist? Yes, or all these different personalized, uh -huh. individual, I could, we could call um, characterological wounds we all carry. Characterological? Yeah, uh, per, that, are unique, that are unique to us. and, and yeah. shortcomings and Yeah, our own particular personal, and, right. yes. They're like little fault lines that go off various places, uh -huh. but the core wound is the San Andreas fault to which uh -huh. they're all connected. I see. All these different things are all connected to this one. Huh. Well, is the assumption or the, the purpose of waking down to ultimately get to this core wound and heal it? To make it conscious. The core wound could Can be... Can it be healed? In a way, <laughs> uh, but it isn't what you expect. How so? 
Um, this realization also could be characterized as, as your resistance to feeling this core wound surrenders. Uh -huh. And this, this core wound could be characterized as the, 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 um, the, the, the intimation, the intuition that we, there's, this, there's something more to life. There's something l larger or, or more meaningful or, or grander or, or bigger that everybody feels. There's got to be more to my life than this. That's the symptom of Just the core wound? That, uh -huh. as well as the obvious limitations that we feel all the time in ourselves. Those right. two things together, the rub of those is, is the, the core, core wound. wound. Hmm. The, the, the restless, anxious heart that results from that. And but you said that when you had this awakening, you no longer felt the, the restless, anxious thing. You felt content okay, okay. and That was more in terms of being awakened. That I was referring to something a little bit different there. Okay. Yeah, I, didn't, I wasn't referring to the same thing. Now, this core wound is um, in a certain way healed, but it's healed in the sense that you become okay with it mm -hmm. as it is, that human life... Um, does have limitations, mm -hmm. and um, your fundamental okayness with that is, in a certain way, a healing of that. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you say, or could you say, that um, you become okay with the limitations because at the very same time, and continuously, there is an unlimited right. component Yes, and that's a sort of a, a very comfortable place to rest in, and and you don't give a hoot about the limitations as long as that is, you have access to that. Well, you you continue to feel the limitations. Is this isn't as if you're you're immune to the constraint of right? You know the existential pain of human life, mm -hmm. but there's a larger frame of reference. Yeah, that's. I mean, you could say that for many people, those limitations are the entirety of their existence, and that must be very painful. And it's like, right. you know, yeah. oh my God, I, you know, my life is meaningless, or I'm trapped, or I'm, you know, I'm doomed, or I'm going to die, or whatever. But you know, what you're saying is, you know, fine, we're going to die, and, and there's limitations, and we can't do this, and we're not a billionaire, and, but you know, there's a freedom or a contentment that persists regardless of those constraints. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some, one thing just popped through my mind uh -huh. randomly. Can I just sure, yeah. take off another That's direction? That's what I'm doing. Something yeah. just came through my mind is that we're in Fairfield and it's we are for decades deeply steeped in the Ayurvedic perspective. Mm -hmm. And one thing I wanted to get across in this, if I could, sure. before we wrap up and is... No, we're not wrapping up yet. Oh, okay. And explain terms as you go if in, in case somebody... Ayurveda is, is, Ayurveda is an is a ancient Indian um, a tradition of uh, healing arts. And it's been practiced and is thoroughly imbibed in all of its breadth and depth in Fairfield. And um, one thing that became clear to me and to both of us in this is that perfect health is unrelated to self-realization. Mm -hmm. It's not a prerequisite and it's not a consequence. Right. Okay. I can speak from personal experience. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. You want to talk about that? 
Well, I mean, I mentioned it when I was telling mm -hmm. the story of, of right. my awakening, and um, should I? Whatever. If whatever. you're comfortable, well, otherwise, no, whatever you want to do. We don't have to. Oh, I don't know. I mean, it well, we can come back to it. Yeah, I'll, I'll right. see. Think about yeah, it. See how it feels. Yeah, um, but I just, I, you know, I mean, a number of examples come to mind. I mean, there are a lot of great people who are considered very enlightened throughout history yeah. who uh, had anything but perfect health, at least right. when, on their, you know, when they got around to dying. I mean, yeah. Nisargadatta, who happened to be a chain smoker, died of lung cancer. Um, you know, Ramana Maharshi died of, I think, some kind of throat cancer or something. Yeah. Um, we don't know exactly what Maharshi Mahesh Yogi died of, perhaps, mm -hmm. but... It, he had it, weak lungs. He had weak lungs, he had all kinds of things, but it yeah. wasn't, you know... I mean, nobody has... None of right. us get out of here alive. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, and I don't think, to, in my mind, that doesn't diminish any of them. No. Any. Right. No. Um, you know, if you, you know, if you have some scars in your fingers, probably from electrician work, you, you yeah. cut yourself, you bleed. Yes. You know? Right. <laughs> and that's not perfect, but um, it's not an obstacle to uh, awakening. Yeah. Or being awake. Yeah. Or being awake while that's going on. Right. 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 I remember um, about 10 years ago or so, I fell off my bicycle one day. Mm. I was coming into a gravel driveway and I took the turn too fast and skidded. And I had a helmet on, fortunately, but you know, as my helmeted head hit the, the, the ground and, and my, you know, skinning my hands and elbows, I was kind of amused at the same time at this sort of unshakable silence that was just kind of watching the whole thing in a way. Mm. You know, that was there regardless of all this pain and yeah. trauma. And yeah. Or, you know. So. Yeah, it's often in moments of crisis that this becomes more obvious. Yeah. Don't I particularly say? love running through airports trying to catch connecting flights. It's like, <laughs> you know, talk about Buddha at the gas pump. I feel much more awake in situations like that than I do kind of sitting in my quiet little room. And yeah, in a certain way, in the midst of the anxiety to meet the plane, you yeah. see, feel this freedom. Yeah, and there's all this, you know, you're, you're hustling, you're, your lungs hurt, and you're, you, know, you're, you don't think you're going to make the connection. And at the same time, there's this just perfect silence that per, that's predominant, even. You know, it's, it's not even somewhere in the background. That's the main thing, is this yeah. perfect silence. And then there's O'Hare Airport. <laughs> that's, that's me, see, to me, that's truly being in your life. Mm -hmm. You know, like living your life. Really living your life. Yeah. I know it sounds kind of... It's hard to put into words. But it's really hard yeah. to put into words, because to me it has this huge, huge depth to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is part of what you were saying to me for five years when I was banging my head on the wall. What am I missing? And you said, no, Steve, life itself is your teacher. What? Well, How that's the title of my book. Yeah. <laughs> and then you would say something like this, like, just, you're just living your life, and that's... And you would say, but I've always been living my yeah. life. You know? <laughs> I want more. I mean, that, that's one of the reasons, that's another reason why before I um, you know, was told I had this uh, illness, um, that I felt like what had happened to me was really true because he was investigating other things. Mm -hmm. And I just said, well, I, I Like don't waking know. down or whatever. No, not, yeah. this, not waking down, um, other things. You know, other teachers mm -hmm. were coming to town and uh -huh. he would go. Check them out. And right. I'd go and I'd go. I mean, nothing, it just, it's like I had a teacher, mm -hmm. or she was my teacher, and I didn't need anyone else. Mm -hmm. And um, I think I, I should explain 
even though <clears throat> I had my awakening before I got involved with waking down. What got me into waking down was the mutuality piece. Mm -hmm. You might need to elaborate on that. The, the, the self, you know, myself and other. And not just meaning like other you or, or Brian or someone like that, but, you know, someone who's a self-other. Yeah. Your relationships with other people and how your environment impacts you and how you in, impact your environment and how that helps you to grow or develop or... You'll have to excuse me, I, have a, I get a very dry throat. Take some water. Yeah. I keep doing it, but it's, it yeah. doesn't... I have um, some water. Yeah. Um, I don't Let's, know if uh, that was real clear. No, that's good, but let, I want to probe a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, usually the, you hear about waking up, you know, right. or awakening, and right. so on. And so when people first hear waking down, they think, well, why, do they call it, why are they calling it that? Yeah. And um, my understanding of it is that, you know, like you said, when you had your awakening, uh, it wasn't so much an, an ascension where you sort right. of became disengaged from your individual life right. or your body or whatever. It was more like an integration embodied into that, into right. your individual life. And so, yes. so is that why you guys call it waking now? Yes, the primary thrust of this particular awakening is down into your body, into your yeah. life, into the, the emotional, the bodily, the mm -hmm. relational dimensions of human experience is where it all happens. You're not awakened away from and out of and distant right. from. Now, do some people become awakened and out of and in, you know, distant from? I mean, are there, are there brands or flavors of awakening that I you run into that in where people just become aloof and... I, in my conversations with other people uh -huh. around town, I think there are. Huh. It isn't as if... I, before this happened for me, I thought, well, surely it's the same for everybody. It's got to be. It's yeah. true, you know. But I think there is differences. There now, is, in your conversations with these people, yeah. do you feel that they have actually awakened themselves, or are they still pre-awakening and they're kind of conceiving it as being something that will enable them to escape from the fray of life? No, they're, I, I'm, I, I take them at their word. They say they've it's just, I think there, is a, there are different uh -huh. qualities to this. And if I may make a historical reference. Sure. Otherwise... Uh, why else would Adi Shankara be traveling all over India having these huge debates with all the Buddhists of the day mm -hmm. about whether there was or wasn't a self? Mm -hmm. There are differences in, in how this is revealed. It's true. In, through the it's through the yeah. individual. And so you're, what you Im imply there is that you know, maybe the Buddhists were enlightened and maybe Shankara was enlightened, but they just had different flavors of it. Now, some would argue that they were at different stages of it, and they were arguing from different states of consciousness, and that maybe, you know, and in fact, I mean, there were a number of people whom Shankara debated, mm -hmm. who kind of, at the end of the debate, saw his point of view and became his disciples, and eventually, right. you know, glommed onto his level of experience. Yeah. <laughs> I, so I don't know that. Yeah. I don't know the answer to that, but my sense is there, is, there are differences, and, and mm -hmm. uh, in my, both from my personal conversations with yeah. other people, and from this... So I wonder if these differences are more a matter of personal makeup and preference or a more a matter of choice where you choose to engage in a practice or a path or a group that's going to culture your experience in a, in a different channel than, yeah. than some other. I think it's the latter. You think? There are different lineages that, that, that produce different 
I don't know if I want to say strong enough to say types, but yeah. different dimensions of this awakening experience. But wouldn't you say that you know some people are naturally inclined to kind of just be more reclusive and maybe sit in a cave yeah. or, or you know the modern equivalent of a cave, whereas others are more inclined to sort of plunge into the the thick and thin of life. And yes. Yeah. And, and so and maybe you kind of align yourself with whichever group or lifestyle or whatever is best suited to your nature and, and you enjoy your awakening in this way or in that way according yeah. to what's right for you. Yeah. <clears throat> so then there's the mutuality part, awakening down in mutuality. And is the implication of that term that your awakening is kind of more than, it, it's a kind of a collective awakening as opposed to just your awakening and that the, the interaction with others is, enhances it or... or uh, what, what, what you you explain why why the word mutuality? Um, let's see the simplest way to do this. Uh, being is equal parts identity and relatedness, and the the the, the nuts and bolts and in, when you get right down in the engine room of relations with other people mm -hmm. is is where the rubber meets the road of of this. realization being challenged. Hmm. As Ram Dass yeah. said, if you think you're enlightened, go spend a week with your parents. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Actually, that's what I, uh, that's one of the things I used, when I, you know, Amarish always talked about the dyeing the cloth and all that. Uh -huh. I grew up in New York. Right. And so I always thought, oh, when I go see my family in New York, you know, then I'll know, you know, something, whether I've gotten anywhere uh -huh. at all. Because uh -huh. The acid test. The acid test. Yeah. <laughs> and so we're saying there is a sort of catalytic effect in 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 relations with others, and we take this dimension mm -hmm. of life uh, seriously, and it's important, and, and it's part of this whole process. So how does the actual waking down group of organization or uh, help you to do this? Uh, well, we have open sittings. Mm -hmm. where there's usually a, a teacher or mentor leading and people are, are sharing what's up for them, their, mm -hmm. their current edge, we could say. and Whatever that might be. Yeah, it could be anything. The could good, be. the bad, the ugly, it could be anything. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, and others are listening to that person, sensing what they're feeling, feeling them, their, their own, what's going on in them, their own reaction, mm -hmm. and, and in, the, in the back and forth of... of of being true to yourself and open to the truth of the other, something more happens. Hmm. But there, I might add that there are people in Waking Down who have their awakening and, you know, they're gone. Right. They don't come around. Oh, yeah. They're, they I mean, it's not... They feel like, like they got what they wanted. And yeah. And I mean, it's it's like you were saying, different people have different flavors or different interests. Or, right. You know, so um, I wanted to put that in there. Mm -hmm. Okay. I noticed earlier uh, that... Um, actually, before I ask you that question, I think we'll take a little break. Because okay. we have to change discs, and yeah. maybe we have to go to the bathroom. And uh, okay. so we'll do those things, and we'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to Buddha at the Gas Pump. This is a regular weekly interview show in which we discuss spiritual awakening, not in an abstract philosophical sense, but with people who have actually undergone such an awakening. Um, and this week we're talking with Winifred and Steve Boggs. My name is Rick Archer. 
Um, so, I was going to ask you, Winifred, um, towards the beginning of the interview, when you were talking about your awakening, you, you mentioned the word grace, and your eyes started to tear up when you mentioned that. You obviously felt a great deal of emotion when mm -hmm. you mentioned the word grace. Why did it have that effect on you when you thought of the, the grace of that bestowed this on you? Doing it, right? Doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it makes you feel so soft, so loving in the world, like a blossom opening up to the sun. the sweetness, the gentleness. Maybe it's a grace because I did not know that I could truly have that, that I could truly be that as I am. Did you just compose that on the spot, or was that one of your poems that you That's written? one of my spontaneous <laughs> <laughs> That was great. Um, <laughs> usually the word grace implies that there is some, you know, divine source that has bestowed grace upon us. Do you have that perspective? I, I, I guess I wouldn't phrase it in exactly the same way, but yes, essentially that. God or yeah. whatever. Yeah, you however, call it. yeah however you uh, would like. feel to. like you've been blessed by. I've been blessed. Right. I have been truly blessed. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. I love that. May I add another dimension to that? Yes, please. Um, I feel the same way. And it's it had, another part of that is that all the efforts you've made for all these years um, aren't what actually did it. Hmm. There's something else inexplicable and mysterious and, and way beyond uh, what you thought this was going to be and all of, of the, the, the hunger and yearning you, you carried for all this, that time suddenly is there's breathing room around it and you and yet, it feels natural and and, um, and 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 not at all dramatic. And so, the 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 the, the, the what I would say is the, the non-separateness that you experience in this, the essence of that non-separateness, non-separateness between you and I, between myself and this table, between. The essence of that is love, in my experience. The essence of the non-separateness. The, the, the non-separate quality of this realization. The component that contains everything, yes, so I'm, to speak. Yes, there, there's a non-difference mm. between your, who you know yourself to be and everything else. Mm -hmm. And the essence and of that is love. It feels that way to me. Mm. And to you? You may not say it that way. I may not say it that yeah. way. Yeah. Um, now, when you say the, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Would no, you I go ahead. I, I, I wasn't sure. I was just going to say I didn't know what word I would use. Uh -huh. right. 
When you say that all the efforts you made all these years didn't cause this to happen or something right. like that, um, it, it, it's not experienced that way. I mean, let's say, you know, this, this self with a capital S yeah. or unbounded awareness or whatever you want to call it is like yeah. the sun. And, you know, there, there are clouds which have been blocking the sun. Right. And so it seems like you don't experience the sun. Uh, now, from the perspective of the sun, it's always been shining, clouds or no clouds. Yeah. Uh, but from the perspective of the ground, it isn't shining. And the wind, you know, kind of blows away the clouds and then the, the sun is shining. I mean, the analogies have their limitations, but, you know, the sun might say, yeah, wind is, is uh, you know, doesn't matter one way or the other. It's like I'm shining. You know why? I don't care whether there's clouds or wind or not. But it makes a big difference to the person you know who whose vision of the sun was obscured by the you know by the clouds. Yeah. So you know, it's it's ridiculous to sort of say to play what if and what would have happened and this and right. that. But I, there there seem to be a number of spiritual teachers who you know they meditate for thirty years or something. They have this awakening and then they turn around and tell their followers, you don't need to meditate. It's just natural. You don't, you know, don't bother doing anything. Yeah. And you know that to me seems you know kind of misguided or yeah. misguiding because it does seem that although you know the efforts we make in spiritual practices don't uh, cause something which in, is, in its nature is uncaused right. they they do kind of lead us to a point where we can you know be a fit reflector of that yeah I would I would agree with that that um, it, it's a mysterious process that that uh, were I to conceive of my life for the last 40 years, if it didn't involve a, a, a substantial amount of spiritual practice, would this have ever happened for me? Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe I could even say probably not. Right. But I'm, what I'm trying to get at it is in that in that denouement to realize when you realize, oh, I've always been this. That I've never been anything but this. Right. Um, there's there's a dimension to it that is self-evident and sort of self-validating mm -hmm. that is is in a certain curious way kind of retroactive to to, mm -hmm. all, to all those years of seeking. Yeah. Like the joy of arrival is all the years of seeking are obliterated in the joy of arrival. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Um, but like, let's say a person is a, a multimillionaire. Okay. Uh, and, but they, they don't really know it. And then someone says, you're a multimillionaire, but what you're going to have to do to get all that money is, you know, here, here it is. You're going to have to ride a bicycle, you know, across the United States, and then you're going to have to climb this mountain, and then you're going to have to swim across this channel, and you're going to have to do this, that, and the other thing. And when you finally go through all these steps, we're going to give you the key to the bank account, and you'll be a multimillionaire. And, you know, so the person does all this stuff, and they finally get the key to the bank account. They have their money. And then they can really enjoy the money. Now they knew all along that they were a multimillionaire, and that and looking back, it seems like a whole lot of fuss and bother. Why couldn't I have just been given the key after all? You know, have to. But they did have to go through that stuff because that was the condition. That those were the conditions for some strange reason of their getting the money. Yes. You know. Yeah. And so sure, we've always been this. Everybody is this. You know, the drunk in the gutter yeah. is this effulgent self or whatever you want to call it. Right. But it seems like a certain amount of preparation or something is 
to my from my perspective, it seems to be useful. Yes. It, it, it I mean, the drunk in the gutter could wake up one morning and find himself enlightened, but the likelihood of that seems to increase right. if we go through certain purification and you know refinement and all the stuff that spiritual practices are supposed to do. Mm-hmm. It is a mysterious process. <laughs> it's it's it, it's hard to uh, to establish causality, but um, this awakening. If we, if we look around, isn't is more common in spiritual circles than it is not. So right. that says something. Yeah. And if I were to, you want to jump in here? No, go ahead. I'll One of the it. questions was, we'll get uh, if, if, uh, it, it relates to this. Okay. If you could, if from this perspective, mm. if you could look back to your, talk to yourself 10 years or 20 years ago. What would you say? What would you say? That was a beautiful question. It mm. really touched my heart when I... Because the guy who named this show, Buddha at the Gas Pump, came up with that question. Oh, also, great, Isaac Nevis. Great question. Great question. Because uh-huh. I've been pondering that. Uh-huh. And what I would probably say is, Steve, your, your sincerity and the, the, the purity of your intention, those, those things are your strongest assets in this search. Just keep going. Mm-hmm. And I'd also say... Trust yourself. Yeah. Good. Maharishi Yogi often used to say to his, his students, he, he referred to them as already enlightened. You know, mm-hmm. and, and everyone would sort of scratch their head and say, well, how, how does he mean that exactly? You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, I think from his perspective, he could see it. You know, mm-hmm. that everyone had actually, was essentially enlightened or awakened or, or whatever you want to call it, but it's just some little confidence was missing or there's something that happens some clarity inter- or something. in the self there's a reason why they call it self-realization it yeah. happens in and through and by yourself <coughs> excuse me I, I was going to say that um, I forgot how this tied in earlier with what you were speaking of that a person that people have seemed to have that desire mm-hmm. for enlightenment or fulfillment or awakeness or whatever word you want to call that which we all are mm-hmm. that to me is a, is a huge driving force yeah there's something in that I think it's the yoga sutras or something where uh, Patanjali classifies yogis or spiritual aspirants as as having either mild medium or intense striving yeah. for that and he says you know the more intense it is the quicker you're going to get it I mean, and the reason I say that is because in my own, you know, as a child uh, and, and as a teenager, I felt what I, w- one of the major things that I wanted in this life was, I called it peace, mm-hmm. you know, with a capital yeah. P. That's what I was looking for. Mm. Peace in my soul made. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you got it all. I got it all. <laughs> of life. Yes. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) you know, there is that thing that's alive in people, I think. Mm -hmm. At least that's what I've found when I've I've talked to people about their past and how they felt about themselves in retrospect. People who have awakened, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. There was something in their nature or their makeup all along that kind of predicted. And maybe they pursued, you know, TM or maybe they pursued some other, Mm -hmm. you know, Buddhist. Right. Type of meditation, or even um, 
you know, Christianity. Why I mean, not? I lived, I lived in a monastery for another, that's another story, but mm. um, these people were doing the same thing. Yeah. Anyway. So, so uh, Steve alluded to some questions. Um, <laughs> there, uh, people who are watching this show, uh, eventually we hope to have it become a live show so that you can call in questions. But um, we're not there yet, but people have been emailing in some questions, and uh, I'd like to read some of them out. And at the end of the show, um, there will be some titles, and uh, email address will be on there that you can use to email in questions. But in any case, uh, here's the first one. I won't necessarily go through all of these, but um, one question submitted was, since you awoke or shifted or whatever you want to call it, how has the experience of various human emotions changed for you? And he lists a bunch of emotions, happiness, fear, compassion, anger, love. So um, let's do that one. Whichever of you would like to talk yeah. about it. <laughs> I still have all those emotions. Mm -hmm. um, what I would say is that they are probably more vibrant and more full. Mm. So you're even anger, anger is more vibrant and full. Yeah, yeah. but on the other hand, Steve's nodding his head. Yeah. On the other <laughs> hand, things move through you, and you start to notice how things actually move for you, through you. Different emotions move through you. Mm -hmm. And by that you mean they they come and they go like a cloud passing over the sun. They don't. Yeah. You don't hang on to it all day. Right. right. Uh -huh. I, I guess that's the best yeah. way of I expressing it. I would I would use the word. Um, Raw, I, I ex but things are experienced in a more direct way for me emotionally. Mm -hmm. I'm a lot more vulnerable and raw than I ever was before. As there's if you've been somewhat numb before, and now you're yeah, just kind of I don't know if I was numb. directly. I would say there's a growing tenderheartedness in me yeah. that, that is that experiences all these things in in a much more um, direct and undefended and uninterpreted way. Mm. It's just sort of raw and direct and immediate and and um, and yet it's in the context of something that has a lot of breathing room around it. It's, it's a curious uh, kind of uh, it's an odd thing that that, it, that things that emotional your emotional life can be intensified in a way mm -hmm. and yet you have greater capacity at the same time mm. to hold it. And you don't have to get rid of your emotions. Right. Oh. Yeah. I don't know if you, you can't if you want, even if you well, want. Well, I mean, <laughs> well, some you know sometimes. People yeah, that's held as an ideal to to be emotionless. Yes, well, in, some, steady, in some circles. Silent. You know. Yes, in some right. circles. And, and right. particularly anger. Yeah. You know, you know, not to feel anger. Or, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, some of the, the sort of more famous saints that I've known um, have certainly been capable of expressing tremendous anger, you know, if the situation called for it, I suppose. But I, I, I've also seen them turn on a dime if, you know, when the situation changes. It's not like they keep brooding and stewing over mm -hmm. the thing. It's like, um, in fact, you know, Amma, the Amachi, the hugging saint, you know, it's fascinating to watch her give what is called darshan to people mm -hmm. or blessings because people just keep, have you ever seen her? Yeah. People come up one after another and you know, some child will be crippled or something and she'll have tears running down her face and the next person comes up and she'll be laughing uproariously 
and the next person comes up and she's all concerned about their financial situation or something that they've presented to her. And it's like, it's so, so interesting because there's this kind of an immediate, an ability to immediately adapt to who's in front of her mm -hmm. and what their needs are, what their situation is. Yeah. And as soon as they're gone, boom, next person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like a spontaneous response to what's in the environment. Yeah. Um, particularly on this list of little uh, points here, the, the point of compassion kind of interests me. Um, you know, you mentioned tenderness or, or something, and you mentioned softness when I asked mm -hmm. you the question about grace. And I kind of feel like those qualities are related to compassion, that it, the more tender and soft you are in your own feelings, the more spontaneously compassionate you're going to be. Would you agree to that? I would, and I would say that, that in this in this process particularly it's characteristic of waking down that that the the armoring and the and the defensive tendencies that we have in ourselves and actually that are even like sort of down to the tissue level built into our bodies the energy that's bound up there gets freed up and mm -hmm. and there's a more spontaneous flow and, and less resistance to feeling what you're actually feeling mm -hmm. and so there is uh, I, I feel a greater vulnerability and tenderness, yeah, mm. absolutely. And it is the essence of compassion that you, you can sense the other's uh, feelings in that sort of empathic connection. Right, uh, yeah. that's the word I was thinking, empathy, right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And have more appreciation mm -hmm. for yeah. how other people show up. Right. Good. So I'm sure there's more we could talk about all these different things, but yeah. you know. Um, is this a significant question? How has the shift affected your diet, or should we pass on that one? Yeah. It hasn't changed much for me. Okay. Um, have your priorities changed? Well, I in the way, it, yes. Relative Fun priorities. Fundamentally, rel well, the main priority, of, uh, the, one op the one priority that occupied my entire adult life mm -hmm. is fulfilled. Is right. And it is, is from which I've graduated, in a way, or mm -hmm. something. But you still spend a lot of time dwelling on that priority, don't you? I mean, going to waking down seminars or retreats yeah, okay, and okay. things like L that. Let's, let's say now, I instead of a seeker, I'm an explorer. Right. And aside from you know your spiritual priorities, any other relative priorities in oh. life have changed, like your relationship to money or sports or what what you watch on TV or anything. That like? that hasn't changed a whole lot. Um, I do feel a a, a desire to be of service mm -hmm. in some way. That's nice. I'm not sure what. You feel like you found it yet, or is it evolving? It's evolving. Right. There's there's some there's something, and it's related to this tender heartedness that just keeps deepening and deepening as the years go by. Mm. There's, there's something in that that wants to be seen and known and felt and displayed in the world. And I, mm -hmm. I don't have a clear picture, mm -hmm. but it's emerging from the mist. Start a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I think, was my motivation, is this sort of this feeling of, darn it, you know, people in this community have to realize that this is spreading like an epidemic. And, uh, yeah. you know, it would be so good for people to know that all is not lost. I mean, I've, I actually, you know, had run into people who, I mentioned this thing to them, and I, I know all these people who are having, and they say, 
really? I mean, people are actually experiencing that? They're actually waking up? I've more or less given up on this kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And uh, that's kind of disheartening to think that, yeah. you know. Or if you have yes. it, you have to hide. Right. That's another thing. There's this stigma. Oh, I, I couldn't possibly go on a TV show like that because somebody might see me or something. And it's like, yeah. what is this? It's not malaria or, or you know, yeah. leprosy. It's, it's no. something beautiful. But <laughs> it is. And it's, it's such a... share. Yeah. And it's such a quandary because often this is greeted with incredulity. Yeah. You know? Even hostility. I've I haven't. Seen. Have, have you? Yeah. I haven't. Not, not so much personally, but some friends of mine, you know, they, they mention it to people and they, they actually get a rather livid response. Mm. You know, how yeah. dare you? You know, what, how presumptuous? Who do you think you are? Yeah. Yeah, I, that thing where if you say you are, you're not. You, right. You those who know don't yeah. say and those who say don't know and all I that. Think that I think those times have passed. All, yeah. are over. Good. I would say for my priorities, some of. Um, I really like having meaningful. Um, and deep conversations with people. Mm -hmm. Do you have any kids? No. Oh, I'm just curious. We, we had surrogate kids. Right. And here in Fairfield, you know, you yeah. know, anytime you wanted to borrow a kid, you could <laughs> call up a friend and say, oh, would you like the, us to babysit? Yeah. Oh, sorry, I kind of interrupted. Meaningful and deep conversations. No, that's, yeah, yeah, no. That, kids, you know, <laughs> seeing my kids when uh -huh. they come home from college. Right. Yeah. Um, no, we never had children. And I, I would add one, one last footnote to that. I would say that I have become um, much more comfortable with and cognizant of the fact that uh, tears are as significant to human life as laughter. Mm. And there's so many types of tears of joy and tears of, of rage and tears of sadness and tears of poignance and tears of tenderness. And That's and so you find yourself crying more. Well. Tearing up at least, yeah. and crying some, yeah. Even like watching a movie or something like that. Do you, does oh it yeah, I get really moved. Yeah. Yeah, I, things touch me more than they. That's did interesting because yeah. the heart is softer, more melting. Yeah. Yeah. I have a friend that you know he said after his awakening, his he couldn't like really go to the movies with his girlfriend because he'd make a fool of himself sobbing mm. and she would be embarrassed. You know, mm. uh, like that movie uh, AI with Steven Spielberg, where the little kid you know is a, he's a robot but he yeah. looks like a kid and yeah. and he's he's sitting in this thing for like hundreds of years, you know, talking, yearning for his mother. And he said he just broke down. Yeah. And, you know, his girlfriend was like. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I can completely relate to that. Yeah. Tender-hearted men are wonderful. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that recognition. Um, do you guys still meditate? Um, I don't. Not really. Don't feel the need for it or something? No. There's nowhere to go. I mean, sometimes I'll sit, I, you know, I sit and I... I Just have know. some silence. And yeah, something yeah. like that, but there's no place to go. Yeah. I would say we were, were recreational meditators. Uh -huh. We, we, we might do it because the body relishes the quietude. Yeah. yeah. You know? yeah. It seems to be different for different people. Some, right. some people who have awakened you know, say, oh yeah, I still meditate because I, I just, the, as you say, the body yeah. really benefits from yeah. it and, and yeah. I really enjoy that routine, yeah. that cycle. Others say, you know, it doesn't seem to really make much difference one way or the other. But, you know, whether or not they do, I get, my, my impression is that people feel like, as you said earlier, the, the afterburners have, turned on or the, the right. booster rocket or something and that there's really tremendous progress taking place. Yeah. And, I, and yeah. I think it's important for people to honor how they feel. Yeah. And to honor how others feel. Yeah. I mean, not mm -hmm. lay trips yeah. on them if they feel like they're right. doing what's right for them. Right. Because right. 
you know, we have friends who do and friends who don't. Yeah. Um, it's kind of interesting in a way how, I mean, some people don't like this, but I, f I find it interesting how Fairfield is becoming this sort of eclectic spiritual community where, for the most part, there's a great deal of mutual self-respect, or, or mutual respect and mm -hmm. appreciation for whatever person may choose to be doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, in fact, I was, I was, uh, taking some courses and I was in California, this was a couple of years ago, and um, you know, somebody asked me where I lived and I said, oh, I live in Iowa, you know, of course they're from California, they go, Iowa, you know. And she said, where? I said, oh, Southeast Iowa, because you know, you figure, right. they don't, usually they say Ohio, Idaho, or something. Right. She said, where? I said, well, maybe an hour, hour and a half south of Iowa City. <laughs> And she said, said what town? And I said, Fairfield. She said, oh, I've heard of Fairfield. Mm -hmm. It's a very spiritual community. Yeah. Cool. Just like, mm. like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I say we're, we're on the map. People are aware. We are. I mean, look at all the spiritual teachers who come here. Yeah. Right. You know, all these Indian saints and various other teachers, Francis Lucille and yeah. Adyashanti is going to be coming and all kinds of yeah. interesting people. Or if you, if you see an Amundsi poster, it'll say New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, Fairfield. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, we can, uh, I'll, I'll ask some of these questions and if you feel like we've covered them, we can skip over them. But how has awakening changed your ability to fulfill desire? Uh, well, I think um, the intent of the question mm -hmm. um, has has somewhat to do with performance in a way. Yeah, I would like say you want to achieve something. Do you achieve it any more yeah. effectively than before? Not noticeably. Uh -huh. It hasn't stood stood out as a signpost or something for right. me. Um, my life moves along in a kind of natural way and, and desires are fulfilled or sometimes they aren't, sometimes they're not and, mm -hmm. and th there's, there's, there's a way in which I'm affected by that and there's a way in which I'm not. Right. It's both. Yeah. And in other words, your fulfillment isn't contingent upon actually fulfilling the desire, that's yeah. icing on the cake. And in a certain way. There's yeah. fulfillment underlying anyway, continuing. Yeah. And um, it isn't as if we don't have desire. I don't. I have desires. Winifred has desires, and, sure. and sometimes they get fulfilled, and sometimes they don't. And mm -hmm. life just moves along and has a natural course to it, and, mm -hmm. and it doesn't. Um, I don't pay a lot of attention to that. Right. I guess is what I would say. Yeah. And in terms of fulfilling desires, sometimes it's just very simple things. Yeah. Like yesterday, I've been thinking of this on and off for a couple of days. Oh, I should do clean the inside of the medicine chest. Mm -hmm. And I just did it yesterday. And it felt really good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, what was that? Right. A joy? Huh. Uh, Fun? You're doing a simple thing. Just a simple thing like that. Mm. Nice. <clears throat> Covered some a lot of these questions. Huh. Um, if you were to, ha let's say, have to get up and give a speech in front of a thousand people, would you feel nervous? Do you think before getting up? Um, 
I might feel nervous, but I would still do it, but it's not nervous the way I would have felt when I first started teaching TM. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was just petrified of yeah. doing lectures. And now I, I feel I can get up, but I still f you know, feel some. And I just use that as a case in point. Yeah. I mean, are there any particular things that you really could still have a phobia about, or do you feel like, um, you know, this awakening has kind of buffered you against you know, that kind of thing? Well, I, I guess it's it's sitting in the bowl of awake, being awake. Mm -hmm. You know, thinking, oh, how's it going to go? What's going to happen? What am I going to say? How's it going to be? You know, like being in a new social situation, meeting new people. I, it's, it's different. Are you saying that you don't kind of obsess over what's going to happen? You just. Uh, I think about it. Yeah. I feel what I'm feeling internally. Well, like for this, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I wanted to come here and do this, mm -hmm. and with Steve. And yet, I was thinking, oh, how's this going to be? What am, you know, what, what's Rick going to ask me? How am I going to say? Am I going to sound good? Uh -huh. um, am I not going to sound good? Am I going to be clear? All of that, you know. But it's just sort of something that's there. And um, in spite of that, I, you know, wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. And here I am. Yeah. And? Yeah. It, maybe you can express it better if I'm No, honest. not better. I can express it differently. I would say that, um, that I think you expressed it really well. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And I guess, um, would you, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. To elaborate, I would say that um, you still have, I still have reactions. I still have, you know, a, you know, aversions and attractions and personality and likes and dislikes. And um, it, it's, it, it, it happens in a, and I still feel the reactions in my body. Mm -hmm. You know, all the things that happen when you're when when you feel uh, trepidation or mm -hmm. you take umbrage or you, whatever, all that normal human reactions to life. Mm -hmm. And yet, there's a, there's a kind of fundamental trust in being mm. that carries you along through your life you just oh, lubricates things yeah, yeah. There, there, there's there's a frame of reference in which it's felt all these sensations of normal human reactions to things are felt that's composed largely of uh, trust mm. there's some kind of trust in you that trust in yourself trust in others trust in life trust in being mm. that is kind of foundational to all of this, even though you still have all of this other right. normal, you know, stuff. Nice. Yeah, that might be a good note to end on. Um, we've been, I've been, my, my name is Rick Archer, and I've been talking with Steve and Winifred Boggs. Um, you've been watching a show entitled Buddha at the Gas Pump, um, which we'll continue to do on a weekly basis. Um, after we close here, you'll see some titles on the screen, uh, some web addresses and so on of things you can participate in. The YouTube channel, if, if you happen to be watching this on Fairfield Public Access channel, you might not realize there's also a YouTube channel where it's archived. Um, 
if you're watching it on YouTube and you happen to live in Fairfield, you could also watch it on your TV <laughs> if, you, if you get Fairfield public access through either Lisco or Mediacom. Um, there's also a chat group, a Yahoo chat group, where you can participate with other guests on the show or other people who are interested in the show in discussions about these topics. And my email address will be there in the titles too in case you want to contact me to ask me any questions or uh, questions that I might pose to our guests. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much, both of you, for coming. Yeah. And thank, thank all you. of you for listening yes. and watching. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.